So we're going through Colossians. We're going through the book of Colossians, and I'm just, I don't know what the series is called, just a study through Colossians. So um, if you take have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 1. TGD was nice enough to read the first portion here. We're kind of doing a two-parter here today and last week. We started first uh, Colossians 1 chapter 1 verses 1 to 15, 14, but we didn't get that far. We got to like verse 6 or 7 last time. So we're just going to kind of pick up where we left off. I'll recap a little bit to understand where we're coming from and where we're headed to. But we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1 for the next few weeks. I forgot an announcement. Uh, we are planning communion not next Sunday, but the Sunday after next. That will be July 8th, I believe. So plan for that. But Colossians, let's find ourselves in the book of Colossians this morning. I'm going to read, we're going to focus on verses 9 to 14. Last time I tried to bite off verses 1 to 12 and that was too much and we had to end. My plan today, as I kind of told the, mute, the, the, the band up here to cut one short, one song short, let's try to end around noon today. Is everybody okay with that? It's warm here. Let's just be honest. I don't really want anybody falling asleep for the last 20 minutes anyways. So let's just cut those 20 minutes off. So we're going to try to end around noon today, if I could pull it off. But the verses we're going to focus on are verses 9 to 14 of Colossians 1. As I typically do, I ask you a question before I start. So my question today is, have you, have you ever had to strive after something more than you originally thought you would have to? Have you ever had to strive after something more than you originally thought you would have to? For anything. Anything. Um couple silly illustrations here. <laughs> my, my lovely wife is back here. We've been married almost nine years come July, and we're excited for that. When I was dating Janine in Michigan, I kind of told you bits and pieces of my testimony. I moved out to Michigan in 2008, and I didn't have any support, and I was trying to work to support myself. But if you remember, my job at Starbucks didn't go well. I worked there for about a month because they refused to train me, and I don't know why. I stopped working at Starbucks, and I started working at a place called Circuit City, yeah. thinking I'll be there a while, and in a matter of a couple months, they were shut nationwide. So I didn't have a lot of money when I moved out to Michigan, but I was dating this girl called Janine, and we had our sights set on marriage, so I was really trying to do it well, date well, and... and <laughs> do it properly. But the problem is I didn't have a lot of money. I didn't have a lot of money to take Janine out. Sometimes we'd go to the mall and just walk around and sometimes, you know, we'd find a park. But eventually you'd like to go out to dinner and things like that, right? So I decided I had to make a sacrifice in order to be able to take Janine out to a dinner now and then, which sounds like an actual date. So I had to make the tough choice to not buy groceries. <laughs> So I could take my girlfriend out to eat on a, on a couple occasions, you know? And so I made the decision that I'm going to spend my money dating Janine instead of buying myself food. Lots of food. I had a couple snacks. But here's how it played out. Janine was clueless of this till a couple years ago or something like that. Had no idea. I didn't want to tell her. It was really no big deal. I wanted to do it, you know, out of love for her. But here's how it played out, is I was taking Janine out, we were having nice dinners, as far as she knew, had enough money to do so. Well, I wasn't buying food for myself, and so I found myself getting kind of hungry. Um, wasn't used to that, of course, and so uh, it wasn't any big deal. It wasn't I was like, going to pass out or you know, waste away, of course, but 
uh, <laughs> we would have the young adults over to our house for some gatherings because I was the young adult leader. So the young adults would come to our house and I was kind of hungry. So, you know, I didn't do this as the plan at the beginning, but I, the guys would typically bring soda and chips and snacks over for the gathering. And I remember looking at those bags of chips while they were there going, hmm, kind of hope they leave those back, leave those here at my house so I can snack on those later. And that's how hungry I got. I was like, you know what? I hope they leave those chips there. So when they leave, I could scarf down that bag of Fritos. <laughs> so sometimes they did. And I got really lucky. Uh, they'd leave a couple bags of chips home. And uh, they'd go, like, see you guys. Thanks for everything. As soon as the door shut, I'm like, nom, 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 nom. <laughs> And uh, I share that with you because I share this. I, I didn't expect that going into the dating arena, that Janine and I would just date and I realized in order to date Janine, I was going to have to make a couple sacrifices, which she was unaware of, and I was just glad to do so. It wasn't like, woe is me. That's not why I'm sharing this story, but uh, I had to make a couple sacrifices in order to close the deal with Janine, and I know that's probably a bad way to put it. But look, she's here. Uh, we made it work. And uh, actually, sometimes, this is funny too, sometimes I wouldn't have quite a bit of money to take her out to eat, and I would be like, oh, no, I'm kind of in a pickle here. And I'm serious, on the two or three occasions, Janine would offer to pay on those exact days. And I was like, oh, Janine, you really don't have to do it. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, if you're gonna, you're gonna, you know. I'll let you just this time. And I was like, phew. So things got better. Um, but uh, that was our dating process there. One more quick story again. Going to try to end around noon here. So um, my dad and I, you guys have been to the Rail Riders, right? You guys have been to the Rail Riders Stadium? How far is that from you guys? From here? 15? 30? Well, from here, maybe 15. Yeah, it's probably about the same from where we live in Clark Summit, maybe about 20. Anyways, my dad and I, just this past past season, not this season right now, but the past one, they had the championship game. Do you guys remember that? Did anybody go to the championship game at the Rail Riders? Nobody. Okay. Well, um... Dad and I would like baseball, and uh, Dad and I, we were, we were actually living with him at the time. We were in transition, and so we kind of forgot about it. We kind of forgot that the championship game, the minor league championship game, was here. And it's not a big deal. It's not like a huge game, of course, but Dad and I like baseball. So I kind of looked at him and said, hey, Dad, isn't the championship game tonight? And he goes, oh, yeah, I kind of forgot about that. And I was like, should we go? And he's like, yeah, why not? You know, it's, it's, it's around 6.30 at this time, and we thought the game started around 7.00. And then he goes, oh, I think the game started at 6.30. I think it's earlier tonight. So it's probably too late. And I'm like, yeah, that's probably not worth it. But then we decide, ah, we got nothing to do tonight, so let's go. So we decide to go to this baseball game. No big deal, right? We're gonna, we didn't have tickets. So we we're going to go buy tickets. We didn't know how populated this game would be, if it would be any big deal or not. But we're like, you know what, let's try. Let's try to get tickets and go to this game. So we did. And as soon as we drive near the stadium, we realize there's quite a few cars going into the stadium. In fact, the guys were roping off the stadium because it was packed. It was full by that point. And so they were sending people up the road like two miles. And I'm looking at my dad going, oh man, we didn't expect this. You know, we don't really want to go to this game. So I looked at my dad. I'm like, should we do this? Should we actually go up and go through this hassle parking and stuff like that? And so he's like, well, why not? Let's just go see what it would take. So we drive two miles up the road or something like that. And they take us to this dirt parking lot and we noticed what they were doing is we're shuttling people in a bus from the parking lot to the stadium. And, okay, Dad and I don't have tickets. Now we're parking two miles away from the stadium to be shuttled over in a bus for a game we don't have tickets for. 
And so I look at my dad again going, what's the plan? Are we doing this? Are we going to try? He's like, I don't know. What do you think? I was like, well, we made it this far. So we get out, we park our car, and we realized we had just missed the shuttle. The shuttle came, took people in the bus, and it left. And I'm like, well, how long is it going to take before another one comes? So we're walking by where the group of people are, and we're asking people, Does, do you guys all have tickets to this game? Like, oh, yeah, we totally have tickets. And Dad and I are like, yeah, we don't. Um, so we decided to wait a little bit for the shuttle. If it was going to come back in the next two or three minutes, you know, we'll go to the game. It didn't. And so Dad and I are like, okay, you know what? We didn't really want to go to this game anyways. We're just wasting our time here. We might not even be able to get in the game because we don't have tickets. So we just made the decision to go back to our car and just go home, forget about the game. Well, what we did is we drove out of the parking lot and we went back towards the stadium where we came from. And Dad and I are like, well, you think I could like run up and talk to somebody and see if there are any tickets and make it worth our while while we're out here? I was like, Dad, let's just not even bother with it at this point. You know, we tried all this stuff. We dealt with the parking lot and the shuttle. I don't want to go. I don't want to run up and find out if there are tickets and run away back to the car. So he's like, yeah, no big deal. So he's like, why don't we do this? You guys know where the, uh, the movie theater is on top of the hill? He said, let's go up to the movie theater on top of the hill and, and just watch for a little bit from the top of the hill. I was like, yeah, that's fine. So we went to the top of the hill. And I don't know if you've ever been up there looking down at the stadium. You can't see very well. Um, you can make out that it's a baseball game, but that's about it. You know, I'm looking down like, oh, these are great seats, Dad. Thanks for this. <laughs> And uh, there's another guy there watching it with us, you know, he was just, I don't know what he was doing. But he was watching the game, and we're trying to, like, watch the game, too, without, you know, falling down the mountain. And uh, <laughs> while we're talking to this guy and laughing and just kind of, you know, making fun of our little adventure here, um, another couple comes up, an elderly couple. They drive up to their car, and they're kind of doing the same thing. They get out of their car, and they're looking down at the game, and so I'm talking to them, saying, hey... Did you guys have tickets? Were you going to go? And they said, yeah, we have tickets, but we didn't want to deal with the parking issue, so we're just not going to go. And I kind of looked at my dad, and I was like, you guys aren't going to go, and you have tickets? They're like, yeah, we're not going to use the tickets. I'm like, can we buy them from you? And they go, oh, you know what, just take the tickets. I was like, no, 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 let us, let us give you some money for them. And they go, no, take the tickets, we're not going to use them. So I looked at my dad, and we're like, shrug our shoulders, I guess, I guess we're going to the game. But if you remember, we had to... <laughs> We're now at the movie theater, and the game has well begun by this point. So we have we, we have to go like all, all, go all the way back to the dirt uh, parking lot and park again. And my dad and I are like, we're not doing that again. So we were gonna make like a makeshift parking spot on the side of the road. And so dad and I decided to park kind of illegally on the side of the road, and nothing crazy happened. But we parked on the side of the road, and we just hoofed it up to the stadium with our newfound tickets. We found our seats on the first base side. We sat down. We looked at each other and just started laughing, going, wow, this took a lot of energy. <laughs> and if you remember, we didn't really care about the game. We didn't really care if we went or not. We were just going to try to do something that night together. But I found out it took a lot of energy to go to this game that we didn't really care about. It was like the third inning by the time we got there. We stayed for like three innings, four innings. It wasn't that exciting. And then we decided to go home. But we had an adventure. We had a story to tell. It was, it was actually more worth it for the adventure than it was for the game. I share that with you to share one thing, that it's sometimes in life and in the Christian life, there's more expected than you originally had intended to give. Would you say that's true? I wanted to show us from Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. Follow along as I read it one more time. 
Paul says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If you remember last week, we talked about the greeting and we talked about a little bit of Paul's prayer for the Colossians. At the beginning of this chapter, he's thanking God for the Colossians because of two primary things. They had faith in Christ, and they had love for all the saints. Faith in Christ and love for all the saints. He's thanking God because the Colossians have this. So that's what we were talking about last week, that the Colossians was a good church. It was a fruitful church. Paul heard a report that the Colossians had faith in Christ because they were loving people. They were loving all the, all the saints. And yet, Paul is going to pray for something greater for the Colossians. But that kind of struck me as interesting because as I was reading this letter, I was going, well, the Colossians have faith in Christ and love for all the saints. And my mind kind of asked this question, what else is needed? What else do you need? Okay, a lot of people don't have faith in Christ, right? And we know that faith in Christ is what saves a person. Colossians had it. But they didn't stop just there. They weren't just nominal and lukewarm. They had love for all the saints. And there are a couple passages in the New Testament that says, if you have love, it fulfills the entire law. It says that in Romans 13, 8 to 11, that if you love, you fulfill the entire law of God. So the question again was, what else do they need? They have faith in Christ and love for all the saints. And yet Paul is going to pray that the Colossians get something greater, bigger, more intense, kind of like the baseball game story I shared with you. It's going to actually take more than that to get where I and Christ desire you to go. So this is a good church. This is not a church who's messing up and has a lot of sin issues. This is a church who's on track. And yet Paul is going to describe a prayer that he has for the Colossians. And the way I kind of describe it is Paul kind of saw potential in the Colossians to go deep to go high, to go greater. They had faith in Christ and love for all the saints, and he thought the Colossians can go greater. These people are starting well. I can take these people even further. And this is how he's going to describe his prayer. But I have a question for us today. To what degree do we want to please the Lord? You ever thought about that question? To what degree do we want to please the Lord? I think for Paul, for the Colossians, he's telling them, he's going to pray for them that they raise the bar. Raise the bar. Higher the standard. So how closely devoted to Christ is enough for us? I saw once, a little bit ago, they have this two-minute devotional now you can do while you brush your teeth. Kind of cool, right? Two-minute devotional you can have while you brush your teeth. Two minutes. 
You brush your teeth, you're spent and written, and you're having your devotions with the Lord. It's like a nice, you know, get it out of the way. Brushing your teeth and, you know, two minutes. <laughs> That's the kind of culture we live in, guys. That's the kind of culture you and I live in. What is minimum to give to Christ? I want to give that. So even if it's not two-minute devotional, sometimes we think 20 minutes out of a 24-hour period of span of time is devotion to God. We even call them devotionals. Devotions to God is 20 minutes out of 24 hours. Not that you shouldn't call it devotions. But church attendance. If I go to church, if I read my Bible occasionally, if I'm generally kind and loving, I'm about as mature as you can get as a Christ follower, right? That's, that's Christianity. That's a deep Christianity. And yet Paul's going to pray for something staggering here. To illustrate this a little bit, to understand our view of God even deeper, how long do you think it would take to explore the Pacific Ocean? How long? I looked this up. They've estimated they think they have explored about 3% of it. They, whoever they are. Scientists and explorers and people who dive and people who take pictures. 3% of the ocean they think they've discovered. The ocean. And I looked, I said, well, what about even bigger than that? What about space? How long do you think it would take to explore all of space? They think, this one's even funnier, they think they understand 4% of the known universe. Let that rattle in your brain for a little bit. They know 4% of what they can see. There's a whole bunch they can't see. So if you were going to discover and explore the ocean or the, or the space, how much time would you have to give to it if you really wanted to go deep? 20 minutes a day? Is that going to do it? One year of your life, a couple devoted months, and you're an expert on the ocean and space. God spoke space and ocean into existence. Think how vast and how deep and how broad our God is. And what I want us to do today, just as Paul does for the Colossians, I want us to raise the bar. We're going to now look at the things that Paul prays for, and they're quite vast. They're quite big. And follow me along here. Follow along with me here as we look at the prayer, starting in verse 9. He said, From the day we heard of your faith and your love for all the saints, we have not ceased to pray for you. And I think Paul saw great potential, maybe to make future Pauls in the Colossian church. More Pauls who would give their life for the gospel, who would, who would share the gospel unto the point of death. And he says, we have not ceased to pray for you. And here's what he's going to ask. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Wow. He's praying that they would understand God. That's a mighty prayer request. Praying that they would understand the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Boy, oh boy, that's a prayer request. That is a prayer request. That they would know God to such lengths and such depths that they know his will entirely. That's a big prayer request. I'm going to break this up a little bit. He keeps going on and he says, this is the reason that I want to pray this for you. Verse 10. 
so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. I'll say it one more time. Fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And the reason is so that you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, what does a life worthy of the Lord look like? What does that look like? If you and I walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, worthy of what Jesus deserves, what does that look like? Do you think it looks like the people I just described here, two-minute devotional while you're brushing your teeth, and, you know, I go to church once a week, and, I, you know, give 10% of everything? I don't think so. I think to have a life worthy of what the Lord deserves takes a lot of commitment. I'll illustrate this for you again. There were these missionaries, excuse me, missionaries several years ago. They were German missionaries. They were uh, Moravians. Maybe you guys have heard this story before. And they found out there there was a slave camp on this island where slaves were being sent, thousands of slaves. And the Germans understood that this was happening, and they wanted to reach these slaves with the gospel. And their masters, maybe. But they realized the only way they were going to have a chance at doing this was to get on that island. And the only way they were going to get on that island was to sell themselves into slavery. So they could possibly, potentially, reach the slaves with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they did. These two German missionaries sold themselves into slavery so they could go on the island and be slaves and for the rest of their lives share the gospel. And missionaries back then versus now are different. I mean, my, my sister's a foreign missionary to Germany. We have Facebook. We have FaceTime. We have cell phones. We have planes that go back and forth. My parents go to Germany all the time. Christy comes home a lot. Not to say Christy is a weak missionary. Um, but back in the day, when you were a missionary and you left for a foreign field, it was like, see ya. Goodbye. See you on the other side. We'll see you in heaven. God bless your journey goodbye. And so that's what happened. These guys sold themselves into slavery. They were getting on the boat to go to the island. And this is what they said as they left, as they departed. This is the phrase these two guys said. May the lamb who was slain receive the full reward for his suffering. Isn't that remarkable? These German missionaries are selling themselves into slavery. And God didn't command them to do that, from my understanding. They decided to live a life worthy of what Christ was, was deserving of. And as they leave, it's not like tear-filled, woe is me kind of thing. It's like, may the lamb who was slain receive the full reward for his suffering. Raise the bar. Paul is praying that the Colossians walk worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing to him. And what does that tell you? To fully please somebody, you've got to know that somebody, don't you? Know them. I mean, you've got to know them deeply. To be fully pleasing to the Lord means you understand his will. You know his likes. You know his dislikes. You know how he thinks. And that's what Paul is praying for. Bearing fruit in every good work. Every good work, you're, you're fruitful. Not these religious works the Pharisees used to do where they would pray in the streets. They would tithe to make sure people were watching them. That's not fruitful work. That's selfish work. And so Paul is praying that the Colossians are bearing fruit in every single good work. And this last one, increasing in the knowledge of God. Remember the ocean in space? To increase in knowledge beyond what the scientists and the explorers already know about space 
you would have to give yourself entirely to this understanding. So this is what Paul's praying. This is the way I, I think about it in my mind. I've never done this. I will never do this. Any mountain climbers out there? Um, really? Yeah. Okay. You want to go to Everest someday? You guys ever watched a documentary or a movie about Everest, right? A lot of people want to scale Everest and get to the summit. And we watched a movie on it a little while ago, and uh, a lot of the guys who wanted to get up to there died. It's a sad story. But they wanted to get, it was like their life's dream, to get to the summit of Everest. So they have to give their lives to it. They have to basically, you know, tell their families, hey, listen, I might not return. There's a chance. A lot of people die on this endeavor. And they try to get to the summit of Everest because if you get to the summit of Everest, you're in a very small hand group of people. That, that doesn't happen a lot. And I think that's kind of the way Paul is praying here. The Colossians are doing good work, very good work. They have faith in Christ. They have love for all the saints. And yet Paul is saying, I want you to go to the summit. You have the potential to go to the summit. Do you want it? So Paul's going to pray for that. Increasing the knowledge of God. Um, have you ever read the book of Song of Solomon? Have you ever dabbled in that book? I was kind of raised to uh, think about the Song of Solomon as kind of a book between a man and a woman, and you shouldn't really read it until you're married because it's kind of full of some imagery that anybody who's not married probably shouldn't read. Well, I hate, I'm going to confess something to you. I read it while I was engaged. Uh, <laughs> I don't mean that weird. But so, <laughs> it's just a joke. Song of Solomon is a, is a picture of a man and a woman's love for each other, isn't it? And I was always taught that's what it is. It's a book that man, you know, husbands and wives can read together, and who knows what it does. It enhances their love for each other. Well, as I, as I looked into that book, you know what the old commentators believe that book is about? Christ and the church. The man is depicted as Christ, and the woman is depicted as the church. And if you ever read that book, it is full of strong imagery. The man is looking for the wife. The wife is looking for the man. They're longing for each other. They're craving for each other. I think that entire book is about knowing God intimately. And I think it's available. I think it's available if you want it. I don't think God is teasing anybody with knowing him. Saying, you want to know me? Too bad. I think we can know God. And I think that's exactly why Paul's going to pray, that they know God. Know him. Know what he loves, know what he hates, know how he thinks, know how he operates. And he's going to pray that they have all wisdom and understanding in order to walk worthy of the Lord. Quickly, let's go to number two. The second thing Paul prays for. Verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. The second thing Paul is praying for is God's strength, God's might. He's praying that the Colossians are strong like God. So the first one is that they have all wisdom and understanding, and the second thing is that they're strong like God. Wow. If you want to pray for somebody, uh, pray that, that they know everything, that, about God that they should know and that they have God's strength to carry it out. And let's look at what he says here. He says, according to God's glorious might, so that they would endure. Do you remember the uh, illustration of Everest? People who scale Everest understand what endurance is. Maybe you guys who are runners understand that too. 
that you get to a place, not scaling ever, it's never done, it never will, but you get to a place when you're running, right, where it hurts. It hurts bad, right? And you're thinking, oh man, I'm only half a mile into this, at least that's how I think. <laughs> you know, oh, I'm gonna stop, I'm not gonna get to my 0.8 mile destination. Um, but when you, get, when you start running, you get to a place where it hurts, right? It's like, oh, man, the shin splints or, you know, the cramping or whatever. I'm just really sore and you want to give up. But if you want to reach, if you want to become a runner or reach a half marathon or a marathon, you have to understand what it means to endure. That's what Paul is praying for, that they would have the strength of God to not only walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, but to endure doing, doing it. And... I think that's an incredibly mature prayer request, that you're always walking worthy of the Lord and that you endure when it hurts, when it's painful, when it's lonely, when it's costly. And it will be. If you want to walk and explore the Lord and explore his will and walk fully pleasing to him, it's going to get painful. And so Paul prays, I want you to have the strength of God so that when it hurts, you go forward not back. But he doesn't stop there. I want you to endure, but I want you to endure with patience and joy and thanksgiving. When I give uh, chores to my children, they don't like it. Kids. Uh, who, who does though? Who likes chores? But when I give uh, chores to my kids, I can tell immediately they don't like it. You know, Haddon, clean up your room. Clean up your toys. Ugh. Haddon, clean up your toys. So, okay, so Haddon's cleaning up his toys. He's, he's hating life. You know, I have to pick up six things. My entire day is ruined. Um, and I can tell Haddon's doing the job I told him to do because he doesn't want the consequences of not doing it. But he's not having a good time. He's not enjoying it. He's not having joy with it. Paul isn't just praying that they walk worthy of the Lord. Paul isn't just praying that they endure walking worthy of the Lord. Paul is praying they walk worthy of the Lord with endurance and have joy, patience, and thanksgiving while they do it. If someone would get to that summit, don't you think they'd be fully pleasing to the Lord? Fully pleasing to the Lord? They know God. They know his will. They obey what God says, they endure for the rest of their life in spite of the pain. And along the way, they're patient, they're joy-filled, and they're thankful to the Father. And he sounds like, well, that sounds like impossible. Like, but Paul, you're praying for something that can never happen. That's never going to happen. Well, for some of the apostles, it did happen. I remember when um, a couple of the apostles in Acts are brought into jail and beaten for teaching about the name of Christ, they were flogged. And you would go, oh, wow, that's the worst thing that could ever happen. Well, these guys left that episode rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Christ. They got flogged, which they might have been hit 39 times with really painful whips. And these guys leave that rejoicing. And I picture them kind of like high-fiving each other and thrilled that they were able to suffer shame for the name of Christ. I don't know if I'm there. I'll be honest. But Paul is praying that the Colossians get there. And I think that means that you and I can get there. But it's going to take commitment, devotion, 
it's going to take all of us raising the bar, not giving the minimum, not being okay with, listen, I got faith in Christ and I love people, you know? What else is to be done? Well, I want you to have the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I want you to be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might so that you can reach the summit of pleasing God. Why? Why would I do such a thing? Why? Is this talking about getting into heaven? I don't think so. I think the Colossians were on the right path. I do. I think if the Colossians stayed on that path, they would have reached their destination. So why? Why should I? Why should we? Why should we raise the bar? Paul covers that. Look at verse 13. He, God the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The why is right there. God is worthy of it. First thing he says is he's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, or my paraphrase, which I think he's talking about, Christ's inheritance. You and I are waiting for Christ's inheritance. Right? Inheritance is something you get when someone dies and they were rich and they pass it on to you. You know, remember when Steve Jobs died? Steve Jobs is incredibly wealthy. I can't even I can't even imagine how wealthy that man was. Well, we all know Steve Jobs didn't take that money with him, did he? It went to someone else. I don't know who else, but someone got Steve Jobs' money when he died. That's an inheritance. God the Father has qualified us to share in the inheritance of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Let that blow your mind for a little bit. Whatever is deserving of Christ is one day coming to you also. Because you're with Christ. You're in Christ. That will blow your mind when you understand what that inheritance is. Now, right now, we have to guess at what that looks like. That's like, I don't know, that's, that's beyond my comprehension. Well, it is. But when you understand that you're a participant, a, a sharer, a stockholder, if you will, of Christ's inheritance, that's motivation number one. God is going to give you what his son richly deserves. And that's amazing. The next thing God is worthy of because of this, he rescued us from the domain of darkness, Satan's control. It's like the worst case of an abusive father that's ever existed, Satan, ever. He owned us, he hated us, he abused us, he lied to us, and he used us to do great evil against God. That was his fatherhood to us when we were under Satan's control. And we couldn't get out. You and I could not get out. Maybe you've heard those stories, right, about an abusive father and they can't even get out of the situation. That's how bad it was for you and I. I couldn't get out and neither could you. That was, the, that was our end. And then God came into the scene and scooped us up and said, no longer. You're not Satan's any longer. You're mine. But he doesn't just rescue us. He doesn't just take the chains off and say, free, go, run away. Get away from this guy. He's evil. He's crooked. Because that might not be good enough. Maybe Satan can come back and get us. 
if he just freed us and said, yeah, run, you're free, run away. We've been so warped and so contaminated in our mind, we actually might go back to Satan. Or Satan might come back and get us and say, I still own you. He has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son through whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Not only does he unlock the chains, not only does he take us away from Satan's domain, he puts us in the kingdom of his beloved son. A few weeks ago when I was uh, candidating to you guys, I spoke on Mark chapter 5, where the guy who has 2,000 demons in him is begging Jesus Christ for mercy to not send him to Hades. And so he sends them into pigs and lets them run down the hill and drown in the river. And I, I saw a picture that day that the devil, Satan, is terrified of Jesus. So God not only releases us from Satan's control, he puts us into Christ's kingdom. Imagine that fortress. Imagine that structure. Imagine that castle, if you will, of where we are now that God has placed us there. Satan cannot get to us. Satan cannot take us back. Satan cannot lure us back unless God otherwise says so. And he won't. He's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son who through whom we have who, who, who through, through whom we have, excuse me, we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And the last, the last kind of thing that he kind of puts in there is, listen, all that time you did evil for Satan, I forgive it. I forgive it. I redeem you. So not only are you released, not only are you transferred to my son's kingdom, there is no guilt for what you used to do, for what you did when you were under Satan's control. Don't feel guilty any longer. Christ has paid for it by his wounds on the cross. That's why. That is why we want to raise the bar. God the Father slaughtered his son so that you and I could have life. Inheritance, be released from Satan's control, be transferred to the kingdom of his son where there's redemption and forgiveness of sins. And that's how Paul kind of ties it up at the end. That's why. That's why I pray the way I pray. I put on your sheets there ways that I'm praying for this church as your new pastor, ways I'm praying for myself. I don't know if we have time to look at all those, but I would ask you to look at those and maybe even start praying for this church in the very same way. And I got a lot of these things right from the text of Colossians. As we go through the book of Colossians, maybe these can be our prayer requests for this church. Know the Lord, seek the Lord for strength and courage, be motivated by Jesus alone, live lives of joy and thanksgiving. But as I ended the last time, I'm going to end the same way this time. We can't reach the summit without God's help, can we? Can't. I can't get to where I desire to go and where God desires me to go unless God enables me to do it. That's why Paul prays. That's why he prays. Because he's not just going to say, hey, Colossians, you should do this. Get at it. The first thing he does is he prays. And look at those verses toward the end of your sheet. Divine help for divine living. Divine help comes from God. Jesus says in John 15, 5, Apart from me, you can do nothing. He says in Philippians 4, 13, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If he strengthens me, I can do anything. If I don't have Jesus, I can do nothing. 
if you desire and I desire to reach this summit, go near this summit even, God's going to have to enable us to do it. We're going to have to seek him a lot in order to do this. It starts with prayer. I ask that you would pray the same things I'm going to pray for this church so that you and I can go beyond what the culture says is radical. Wow, you spent an hour with God in 24 hours? So radical. You went to church twice in one week? Radical. You know, and go, no, I'm going to the summit. You guys are okay at the base camp here. I'm going to the summit. Let's take this church higher, greater, than what would be customary for Christians in our culture. Paul prayed for the Colossians, who were doing a fantastic job to go higher and greater and deeper because God the Father is worthy of it. And you know what we're going to look at next week? Jesus Christ is worthy of it too. The next thing Paul's going to talk about is the preeminence, the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to motivate us to go beyond where we are now, to say, gaze at his beauty. Gaze in awe at the Lord Jesus Christ's beauty, and you will want to. It won't be like, oh, I have to pick up the toys and I have to clean my bedroom. Okay, Lord. I want to because of the beauty and the value of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go there this week. Let's pray that first and foremost. And by God's grace, let's all encourage each other to go to the summit. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Uh, where would we be without your word? We would be lost. We would be grasping for knowledge of you. But you enable us to know you. You've given us 66 books of divine revelation, so we don't have to guess. We can understand you simply from looking into your word. You've revealed yourself so that we would know. And Father, you are worthy of it. If we would only understand the great cost at which you gave to have us redeemed, to have us not under Satan's control any longer, we would run after you. We would strive to do your will. We would sell ourselves into a slave camp if it meant pleasing you. Guide us that way, Father, for your grace, for your glory. For Christ's sake, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.